You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production in association with City News. Typically, true crime podcasts cover cold cases. At least that's what they do when they're done properly, with reporting, investigation, detailed interviews with friends and family, and a sensitive approach. It's often too hard to do that on an active case where everyone from family to friends to an entire community is frantic when police are hot on the trail and when good news or tragic news could come at any moment. But because a woman's disappearance one month ago in her hometown lit a spark in Laura Palmer, host of Island Crime here on Frequency, she's decided to take this on. Today, Island Crime presents episodes one to three of Finding Amber, the story of an active case. What we know, what we don't, and what a community looks like in the middle of a missing person's search. Please have a listen here to the first episode. You can go listen to the rest on the Island Crime feed in any podcast app. And please, do share it if you can, hopefully. Amber is out there somewhere. You never know what might help find her. Here's Laura. It's the start of the summer 2022. I've just returned to the island after a family holiday. I've only been home for a day or two when I get a message from a woman named Christy St. Clair. There's a link to a Facebook group and a short, simple message. Please help us find our friend. Well, an investigation that began with a report Friday that a Port Alberni woman was missing has now expanded to other parts of Vancouver Island. Specially trained members of Ladysmith Search and Rescue are are conducting grid searches in Cedar today looking for any trace of Amber Manthorne. The Port Alberni woman was reported missing on Friday after she didn't arrive at work. I'm Laura Palmer, and this is Finding Amber, Season 4 of Island Crime. This season is different. Amber has been missing weeks, not years, not decades. And she has disappeared from Port Alberni, the place I now call home. When I first learned about Amber's case, my initial thought is to leave coverage of Amber's story to my daily news colleagues. New information is coming to light regularly. The case is dynamic. I offer to help field produce interviews for a local TV station. I share some advice with Amber's friends. But Amber gets to me. Everywhere I go in town, I see her beautiful smiling face. There are posters at the playground, at the lake, in the grocery store. Amber is everywhere. And so, this season of Island Crime is focused on finding Amber. I'm gathering interviews and pulling this series together as quickly as I can. Finding Amber won't sound quite the same as past seasons. Less scripting, less production. There is a sense of urgency, a hope that Amber will soon be found. I think about all the families I've met over the years, whose trauma and grief never ends their loved ones missing for 10, 20, 30 years. If I can play even a small role in helping now, I'm determined to try. 
In the episodes ahead, you'll hear what is known about the circumstances of Amber's disappearance. You'll hear about Amber's army. I'll tell you what I know about the man who at first disappears at the same time as Amber. This is Episode 1 of Finding Amber. Amber is 40 years old. She just turned 40 in the middle of June this in 2022. She's just a little over five feet tall and maybe 120 pounds, if that. <laughs> but, she, you know, she's got long blonde hair, like probably to her waist. And she just has a very unique laugh and smile and voice where if you would hear her like over the fence somewhere, you would know it was Amber. Always like really bubbly, like always just just happy and she just had like a distinct voice too and just like a distinct personality. Amber and I, her friendship goes like our whole entire life pretty much. Like I'm attached to the hip. <laughs> Did everything together. Um, we had the same nickname. Everyone called us both the Chips. So she was Chip, I was Chip. Do everything together. We wore matching outfits. It's really hard not having her around right now. Everybody knows her. No, she's just a really good girl. Like, just like 100%. Like, you know, so it's, yeah, it's just hard to, hard to fathom that she's missing. I begin by trying to catch up on what has been covered in Amber's case so far. It's been 10 days or so by the time I start my work. The news stories are limited. It's summer. Local media covered the disappearance and the subsequent search, but nothing really in-depth has been done so far. The RCMP, well, they aren't saying much. I speak with two of their media spokespeople, and they both tell me there are no updates. I ask them to look at the timeline I've put together with the help of Amber's friends to see if I'm missing anything. They tell me they'll try, but they're also very busy. Here's the timeline of events from the period when Amber disappears. Thursday, July 7th, Amber's last day at work at Alberni Power and Marine. She buys a shirt and tells a colleague it's a gift for a man named Justin. On the evening of July 7th, she contacts someone regarding a pair of shoes she's interested in purchasing from a seller online. Later that night, it's the last time anyone hears from Amber, and it's in a message to a friend. That's at around 10.06. On Friday, July 8th, Amber doesn't show up for work at Alberni Power and Marine. And the phone calls to find Amber begin. Meanwhile, at about 3 o'clock that afternoon, Amber's vehicle is first spotted. I'm told the person who sees the vehicle says it's not in that place earlier in the day. The car is located in Cassidy, near Nanaimo, and it's packed full of luggage. The Jeep's windows are down and the vehicle is tucked into the bush on the side of the road. On Friday, July 8th, Amber's landlady is asked to go check in on Amber's home. I'm told when she gets there, Amber's front door has been left unlocked and her back door is wide open. Inside, she finds Amber's wooden bathroom door has a deep dent, shoulder-sized, that was not previously there. 
A small amount of what appears to be blood and mascara are observed on her pillow. And Amber's bed seems to be staged to make it look like she was sleeping in it. There are rolled up blankets covered to make people think Amber is sleeping in her bed. On Friday, July 8th, Amber is reported as missing to the RCMP. On Saturday, July 9th, the RCMP put out a public request for people to watch out for Amber Manthorn. The Port Alberni RCMP requests the public's assistance in locating Amber or her vehicle. Amber's vehicle is a white 2021 Jeep Compass with BC license plate MA145M. Amber is approximately 155 centimeters tall, or about 5 foot 2. She's slim, under 120 pounds, with blonde hair, and maybe with a male known to her. On that Saturday, July 9th, Amber's vehicle is reported to the RCMP. Due to the vigilance and concern of a citizen, Amber's Jeep has been located south of Nanaimo. We are still looking for Amber. We are still following all the evidence and tips that we receive from the public, stated Constable Richard Johns. Investigators have been working around the clock to find her. Although unconfirmed, the RCMP believe that Amber may be in the company of Justin Hall. We ask that the public continue to keep an eye out for Amber and Justin and to call the Port Alberni RCMP immediately with any information about their location. And then news. Justin is no longer missing. Police say a man that was originally thought to be with Amber Manthorn, an ex-boyfriend, has been located. And police no longer believe that Amber is with him. That weekend, armies of people begin searching the back roads of the Alberni Valley for any sign of Amber. Volunteer search and rescue teams search for any sign of her around the area where her car was found, just south of Nanaimo. Then, on Sunday, July 10th, Amber's friends and family organize an evening gathering. On July 12th, the Vancouver Island Integrated Major Crime Unit are called to assist the Port Alberni RCMP in Amber's disappearance. Justin has been located. He is alive. Amber is still missing. If I'm going to take on this project, I need to learn more about Amber and about Justin. But it's tricky. Amber's friends are devastated. Some tell me they're broken, that their grief comes in waves. Some feel physically ill. They've asked for my help, but I'm not going to re-traumatize people who are already reeling. So I begin by heading out to Amber's house. Her place is roughly a 20-minute drive from me. I'm in town, but she's out at the lake, Great Central Lake. If you've driven to Tofino, you've passed the turnoff to her place. I've spent lots of time at nearby Sprout Lake. We keep our boat there, but I don't know Great Central Lake at all. I'm starting my interviews with one of the women who first contacted me, Christy St. Clair. She's taken on the role of spokesperson for Amber's family and friends. I pick her up at her place just down the road from me, 
and it turns out we're nearly neighbors. But we've never met. She jumps in my Honda and we head out to the lake. Sure. As we yeah. And we don't know what's happened. You know, we don't. I, I just, you know, it's another blistering hot, sunny day in Port Alberni. Christy is dressed casually in a loose top and shorts. We get to know each other on the way to Amber's house. I'm just solution-oriented, mostly. You know, she is my friend and I love her. Um, and her family and stuff is devastated. But we need to figure this out more than even just finding her. We pull around the corner and make the turn into the marina area where Amber's house is. It's a small manufactured home with an old-fashioned paneled wood facade in the front. There's a cheerful bright red door and two chairs perched on the wooden porch. We sit down on Amber's porch and here's how our conversation unfolds. I'm Christy St. Clair. I'm a friend of Amber's. We went to junior high school together, and I became sort of, by sort of default, the family spokesperson and the search coordinator. Can you just describe where we're sitting right now? So we're at Great Central Lake at what's called the Ark Resort. It's a very old landing on the edge of the lake with docks and with little float houses and cabins and there's also on land <clears throat> little cottages and a lot of sort of camping spaces that people often pay year-round for a seasonal pass and they keep their trailer here and they've built fences around some of their little shrouds or roofs over or patio coverings around their spots. So some people have been in the same place here for years but Amber moved here I believe over just over 10 years ago and she lives in one of the little cottages year-round. And as far as you know, she, she was happy here. She loved it here. She loved life on the lake. She, and Amber was a bit of a fixture herself. One of her good friends has the season spot right in behind her here that she sets up camp at with her family. And so they were always just side by side for the last few years. Many of the other tenants or residents that come here for the season have known her and spent time with her, hanging out on the beach, swimming at the lake, out in boats. Can you also, just in a little more detail, talk about your relationship to Amber? So Amber is two years younger than me, and she would have been in the same grade as my younger brother. And so over the years and in passing, we've spent time together, shared friends, birthday parties. You know, she was she didn't have any of her own children, but she was friends with several of my friends that had kids. So she was a built-in auntie to lots of our friends' children over the years. My girls are adults now, and they remember Amber from camping with us when they were young. She was busy and active, not only within her own life, personally with friends and socially, but professionally as well. She has, you know, kind of several different things on the go in the way of employment. She worked for a local power marine store, and she also cleans houses, so she's done that for many years, and she has many regular long-term clients that love her and consider her family, and their pets miss her greatly. <laughs> she was doing some work with a friend that has a photography business, They've been doing like boudoir shoots and stuff with other friends. So she provided a lot of the costumes. So she had quite the wardrobe okay. of beautiful clothing and different accessories that she was supporting that venture with. I don't know anything about that. I don't know what a boudoir So a boudoir <laughs> shoot is kind of like, it's sort of like a bedroom style shoot, photo photography shoot. 
generally it's women <laughs> on their own in lingerie or one of our friends she has a room at her house she's the photographer and it's set up with you know some velvet couches and satin sheets and just and and sheer curtains and different chairs and things to sit in or on and have your photos taken many of them are kept a little bit more private for like a photo album maybe for someone's spouse for an anniversary for a wedding is there moments or times together that stand out in your mind? We did some camping, but Amber was always kind of the princess a little bit, you know, she she was she could rough it with us and have a good time, but she would, you know, she would want to get home and wash her hair and get the dirt off her a lot faster than the rest of us maybe. I just remember the kids would call her Auntie Amber and, you know, they would sit with her. They thought, you know, she was pretty and she was cool. And she always would give them attention and talk to them or, you know, and hug them or they would sit close beside her. If there was a story to read or little nails to paint or hair to brush, things like that, you know, she was attentive. Lots of the little kids want to know where their auntie is, where where she's gone. One, one of our friends said that she's worried that she's been murdered and she's eight years old, little girl, because she doesn't know where she's gone and what's happened to her or how, and the adults can't say much. But even a child that age is putting stuff together like that right now and asking questions like that. Can you talk to me about how you first learn that Amber is missing? So on the Thursday that she was last seen by friends, she came home and she was supposed to go to work on Friday morning. And so through the day on Friday, it was July 8th, she would have not have showed up at work, Friends would have called, messaged, followed up, and I believe someone actually came here and came into the house to look for her that day. So by Saturday morning when I woke up, I looked at Facebook and there was a post about her missing. And I just, you know, like, oh, that's what exactly what I did. The big gasp, what, you know? And so we started sharing the posters and, and messaging people. Is this right? Is it true? What's going on? Asking each other questions. And then Sunday morning I woke up and they had created a page out of necessity and desperation some of her close friends had started a group page finding amber so i just shared it to all of my friends and sent it to to you laura we decided at that time too amongst friends that maybe we would have a gathering that evening and we did out at the shop market on the highway at pacific rim highway just down the road from here to just sort of talk about this and what's happening, what's going on, and give people a space to show up and talk about whatever they needed to share at that point. Even if it was just fear and frustration or sadness, worry. To the best of my understanding, I don't know if her mom has even left the house since this started, and certainly not very far if she has. So she's just sort of hunkered down and trying to just take care of herself. So her mom, here in Port Alberni lives on her own and her Amber's aunt is with her right now staying with her the shock is starting to wear off now and just she just really wants her back so Amber's dad I believe has passed away but she has an older brother Doug and his wife Moira and they live in Vernon so they've been here her sister Shannon and she lives in I believe in Vancouver came over as well so you not only end up being involved in, you know, talking to the media and coordinating yeah. some things, but you've also been helping with search efforts. Yes. Can you just walk me through how that happened? We've had, you know, friends who's like one of our friends, she, her dad was logged all over this valley for decades and he had given us 
some of the more specific back rows map books for all areas that are more current and up to date than even what you find online sometimes, like depending what's been deactivated and what new areas are being worked so that are constantly kind of updated. Um, we've had people reach out from all over the place, friends that we know that have friends in search and rescue, scent dogs, <laughs> drones, divers, free divers. One of our friends, she came out and freed over like the whole lagoon and in and down the river within the first few days to look in the water. The, the guys over at the, from the Hoopachessa Band, at, they work at the fisheries, at the, the hatchery down the road here. And they were in all of their area and snorkeling and in the cr creek and rivers and checking all their fish ladders and, and looking and searching for her every day the first week while they were working. How are you deciding where to search? Like what is informing those decisions? We are following, of course, is like, you know, RCMP, their guidance, the investigators, but also partly our gut and what we're feeling is a possibility. So we start looking close to home and we start looking close to where her vehicle was found. So in Nanaimo, when the car was found, the police came, I believe they had their canine unit, and then they dispatched the search and rescue from Nanaimo to the area with their dogs as well to check and see if she was there or anyone else was there or anything in the area <clears throat> that would give them any information. The police came and processed her home. I imagine they treated it like a crime scene, but they can't really necessarily say that it is because there's nothing, as far as I know, that was indicative of a crime or that would say that someone lost their life here. And then we just started going out with our friends, just cruising around, looking in all areas for any disturbances, anything that seems out of place. I'm very familiar with all the areas around here. I've been like hunting and hanging out with friends and lots of people we know they ride side by sides and quads and dirt bikes and they've been all over everywhere anywhere they can find and get to places that people don't usually find or tops of mountains or ends of dead end roads and creeks and trails and deer trails you know up into inaccessible areas collected information back from people as they go out and look so if they go out and they search an area and they can tell us yeah we drove through here we took this route on foot by air with a drone in the water in a boat or just driving. Yeah, we drove all these areas. We didn't see anything of interest. So that means no like scavenger birds flying. Like not that that's necessarily like there's it's fishing season. There's fish in the rivers. The bears are pulling them onto shore. So that's not necessarily indicative of a crime, but it's certainly worth a second look. We had a friend who's a volunteer with Search and Rescue that has a scent dog that went and reworked that area and some of the outlying area after that, around where her car was found. I've been struck by how wide-ranging the, yeah. the kinds of people are who are involved. Is there anything that stands out when you think about that, the people who have stepped up? and Some people, they're just so overwhelmed by the stress, the trauma, the sadness, the fear that they're just basically frozen at home or they can't talk to people about it. They're, all they can do is cry. And that's okay. We need those people too. <laughs> There's people that have come and walked miles and miles and miles or kilometers of road on their own time through the week outside of their work hours. There's people that have worked through at their job and ensured that their area was clear while they were at work. The community itself, like we've had the Tyler's No Frills store here in town, they brought us water and snacks. The Tish Shop Market hosted us there and 
gave us like electricity and Wi-Fi and put up a tent for us at their market. That was Amber's store. She was there every day for a coffee, for gas. And so they were also one of the first groups and businesses to share her missing information with a personal note in it that, you know, this is our friend Amber. We love her. We miss her. We need to find her. We need help to find her. Please call. You know, please let us know if you've seen her or if you know anything about this. A couple of people came that night and spoke with us there and offered a prayer song for us just to sort of harness everybody's energy back in and help because it just they felt like it was just scattered all over. I do want to ask you about Justin Hall, who mm-hmm. I gather is Amber's boyfriend or was Amber's yeah. boyfriend. Most recently, yes. Right. Yeah. He has a, a lengthy criminal record. Yes. Do you you know if Amber was aware of that or? I'm not sure if she knew that he had some criminal history or not. I don't really know what she knew about it, but I certainly had no idea and most of us had no purpose or reason to check and look into it, at least to this depth, until now. I didn't look at it until she went missing. That was one of the first things I looked at. I didn't have a reason to beforehand, but I knew at that stage, even just prior to her going missing, I had heard through a mutual person that was involved in this wedding planning and stuff that she was to be part of, that they had split up to the best of that person's understanding. He had a history of drug use in the past and had returned to that lifestyle and Amber had broke it off with him. So that was maybe in a few months ago, April or May that happened. And then in now into June and then in the beginning of July, she was had seen him again. You know, because regardless of the circumstances, she loved him. She cared about him. She wanted to help him, if anything. It wasn't that she hated him, I don't think. She just maybe couldn't have that in her life and in her home. I don't know. But she had recently been seeing him again, or he'd been staying here with her at the lake again recently. As Even on the 5th, the Tuesday, one of the neighbors here was working on his boat, and Justin had taken a stroll down during the day to just, you know, ask how he was doing or what he was working on. So he was here with her, and she had told friends that she was going to give him another chance. She told a friend that she had a sober Justin at her house maybe a couple weeks prior to that because she'd already, I guess, broke it off with them and was kind of explaining herself, I guess, at that point to her friend about why he was back there again. So I'm not sure what her understanding was about his criminal history. But Amber was also the kind of person that would see the best in anyone and not judge people based on things like that. I mean, she wasn't foolish about it, but I don't believe that she felt that she had any risk to her by being with him. I don't necessarily think it was any maliciousness on her part to withhold information, but maybe trying to respect his privacy. I don't know. It's hard to know what she was sort of thinking at the time or her rationalization for it. Initially, when Amber is missing, he too is missing. Yes. At, at some point he surfaces. Yes. What what do you know about how how that unfolds? So her car was left in Anaimo near the Cassidy Airport and then the police attended and did the search and rescue piece. We were able to say that Amber was missing. We had her mom's permission next to kin to file missing persons or claim her to be missing. I don't know that that was an option on his end with his family members. I don't think from what I know that anyone ever approved a missing persons report for him. I don't know if he's 
if they weren't as worried about him taking off or expected him to turn up if this was something he'd done before, like going missing in action and turning up and they weren't worried about him. And they maybe assumed that that was what they had both done. But her friends and family members did not feel the same way. So when he turned up again, we were told, I believe on the Tuesday after the weekend, that she was still missing and but he had not he was no longer missing and they had determined that she was not with him or he was not with her and so that was sort of the only information that we were given at that time so he released a statement to the news on I think it appeared on the Tuesday night news of the 12th I think it was that day just stating that after they, they had an argument and that afterwards he'd panicked and took off and so to the, our understanding, he didn't have a vehicle anymore. He had a truck prior to this, but he didn't have it anymore. So we couldn't understand why he would panic, what would happen to make him panic. And then how would you take off? Well, in her car, maybe? Because how would you take off unless somebody picked you up? Like, And then her car was gone, and she's gone, and he's gone. So none of it made sense. Said something along the lines that she was alive when I left. <laughs> And that he was more concerned about her state of mind because she was dis distressed or distraught or whatever his words were at the time. And he was more worried about who she was with than anything else. So the characterization of her as distressed or distraught, is that something you've heard from any of her other friends? Not at all, no. I mean, Amber, you know, she's had ups and downs in her life, you know, and she's a sensitive person. If something was sad, you know, she might cry or if it made her mad, she'd get angry. And and she was not afraid to express herself either. Like she would, you know, if she had to tell somebody what she thought of him, she would do it. She wasn't overly timid per se, but, but that, that was not something, that description did not match anything that her other friends knew about her within that time frame, even within the last day or two. She was texting and talking to friends that day about the plans for the wedding that she was involved in, about getting together on Friday, about, you know, different things, like just as she normally would be. There was no signs or any information from anyone that would verify that claim about her being distraught or distressed or, you know, potentially a, a harm to herself. That was never a question or an issue for anyone that knows her or that was in contact with her right up to that, that time. What about this concern that he has expressed about other people that she may have been with? Has like, and I yeah I don't know what that's supposed to mean. I don't know if that's kind of like a I don't know I don't know if it's sort of like a a way of blaming her for what happened to her or if it's an excuse being made, alluding to something else that no one else seems to know anything about. I don't know if it's maybe his way of saying that he knows more than we do about her and her personal life and maybe he did know more about things like that that only the two of them knew but again like friends and family are not aware of those things and they have a hard time confirming any of that or believing it no one believes that she would have just gone off and disappeared by her own choice and that isn't something that's happened before never no right. never to your knowledge is he still in vancouver I'm not sure. When he came out of being missing, I, from what I was told, he may have turned up at his mom's house 
or she contacted him or he contacted her somehow and she was saying you know the police are looking for you what's going on and he was sort of to the uh, attitude like oh I didn't even know she was missing I didn't know I was missing I wasn't missing like I haven't seen her for you know X amount of days or whatever the story was and and so I think that he probably maybe went to his mom's or she supported him with contacting the police or turning himself in but then we were getting reports within a day or two after that that he was riding his bike around in the Cassidy area and washing laundry at the rest stops and stuff so he was appearing to be homeless in the area within before our our, our first search party was sort of set up in Nanaimo we had already heard about him being near the Cassidy rest stop. In the beginning when she first went missing people were worried about Amber and they were worried about the fact that she went missing with him. But initially, we didn't know where either one of them were. They were both missing. We were concerned about both of their whereabouts. Even though it was her friends, our group of people like from town that know her, that were acting on this, we were still not sure what happened and if something had happened to both of them together or something they had done while they were together. And so we didn't know what to do, but we were not allowed to call him a missing person once he was no longer missing. So at that point, people wanted to know what his part in it was or what his story or what his understanding of the situation was. Aside from the statement that he released, which really was not helpful, I don't think, for his case, just because of how it was interpreted maybe by the rest of the people that received it, people are angry and they want to blame him somehow or think that he's involved somehow. But I don't know that. I mean, people can jump to conclusions and make assumptions or, you know, he said in his statement, you know, that basically he was guilty in all of our eyes already, even before he knew that she was missing. He might be afraid. He might. I don't know. I don't know what what information he has or how that's affecting him. He's said in his statement and in, in the video that he gave, like that he didn't kill her or he didn't murder her, I think he said, or something like that in the video. And, you know, that's, I'm, my heart really just goes out to his family around that as well, because it's not just Amber and her family that are, are dealing with this trauma. He has a child, from what I understand, like from a previous relationship, a son, I think, and I believe his late brother has a child with someone. Like, there's children and teenager kids that are involved in all this that they don't have a choice. I hesitate to condemn anyone without knowing. You just can't. I mean, it's not my place really to do it anyways, but without the information, that's why we need to know why and how this happened so that we can try and understand how and why it happened. <laughs> and until we know, I hesitate to say much of anything about it. Just the facts that we have. What, what's next? Like, what, what do you think you're going to be doing in the, in the near term? Okay, so we are working on the podcast with you. That's one of the big push-forward information pieces. We also have uh, reward money in the works. So we're just trying to do our best to, to do what needs to be done, to, to utilize, like, all this power, this manpower that we have and these resources that we have. Well, we still have a lot of interest and to, to keep people's interest peaked and so that people are still listening, that they know that she's still missing and to keep their eyes and ears open and keep her in their minds and in their hearts and in their prayers, that we're not stopping, that we're not giving up. And it's 
whatever it takes. You know, as we sit here on the porch and people drive by and watch and some, you know, they wave and some give the nod with that look and of understanding, they know what's going on. People are trying to be positive and stay respectful. And it's been, it's just been really heavy for a lot of people. Some people, like I said, they just can't even stop crying and function. They're trying to figure out how they're supposed to life again, just with their own yeah. job or their own kids or anything. Like they just, they're struggling to cope with the reality of what's happened. Nobody's quitting and you don't have to worry that while you're resting that nothing's being done because it is being done. There's lots being done every day. Somebody's working on this. We're all here to just keep moving forward and we're all here to spell each other off when somebody needs to take pass a baton and take a break. There's still life going on. There's still little kids that are counting on going camping and swimming and boating like they were supposed to all along. And, mm -hmm. you know, and Amber, you know, she wouldn't want anyone to not live their life because of this. She would want help you know she would want to be found and helped and her mom to be supported but she wouldn't want anybody to lose themselves over this either so that's why it takes the army because people need to take turns taking a break Kirsty has taken on a huge role she's humble about her contribution continuously pointing to the many people who have stepped up for amber in the episodes to come, you'll hear from some of those closest to Amber, and I'll try to understand more about the circumstances surrounding her disappearance and what can be learned about the man who at first seemed too to disappear on that day. While her disappearance is certainly out of character, it may not be a crime. Anyone who may have information and has not already spoken with police is asked to contact the Port Alberni RCMP at 250-723-2424. And if you want to help support Amber's friends, you can join them on Facebook through the group Finding Amber Manthorn. I'm Laura Palmer, and this is Island Crime Season 4, Finding Amber.